Welcome, welcome, welcome again to our beloved Shabbat. On this most holy day, we want to start by giving praises to our King, our Creator, the Most High Yah, and His Son Yahusha, the Hamashiach, who died for our sins so that we may have eternal life. Welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast, or for short, Cove. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. And as you know, we've been constantly still studying the mark of the beast. So continue with us as we study on the mark of the beast. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is live, or even after this podcast has aired, Feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Again, that's scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. And don't forget to tell your friends, family, co-workers, anybody you know, we're on 1 p.m. every Saturday. So spread the word. Now, Pastor, so what will we be talking about today? I think on our last studies, we uh, were showing briefly uh, how the man and the hand are associated and we left off by talking about we'll look forward in some of the future discourses that we'll look at at least four aspects of the mark of the beast in the hand now when we consider the mark of the beast in the in the, fore, in the forehead we looked at some aspects, but now we are particularly looking for the mark of the beast in the hand. And so, and we want to saw four more aspects on that. And so with that in mind, what we want to do is to be able to uh, identify those four areas. Let us pray before we go into our study. Eternal Father, as we pursue the aspects of the mark of the beast in the right hand, that we may have an understanding, O oh, Heavenly Father, that can help us to be able to not only identify the mark, but also to be able to know that that is not the mark for the true follower of you. And that as we have your seal, O oh, Heavenly Father, then the mark has no place within us. So bless our discourse, bless those who listen, and most of all, help us to apply that which we get, that we can be the better for you. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray, amen, amen. and amen. amen. Okay, in order to get started, uh, we, we want to turn to a, a text found in the book of uh, Genesis. We want to go to Genesis chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we want to look at verse number 7. Now here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7, it reads, And Yah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So when we look at this particular uh, passage or text of Scripture, it's pointing out that man was made from the elements of the ground. And then once he was shaped and formed and all of the bodily organs were in place, Elohim breathed his breath into man and man became a living soul. 
Now, the first aspect of our four uh, dimensions of man, we want to concern ourselves with the physical state of man as it relates to the physical nature of the mark of the beast in one's hand. So we want to look at the physical aspect first. And we will refer to this part of our study as the physical mark of the beast in the hand. And when we talk about the hand, we talk about the right hand. But when we talk about the right hand, we've already studied that it means it's a, it, it, it's a not necessarily just talking about the position of the right hand, but what the right hand stands for is authority and loyalty. So when we uh, put our hand on the Bible and swear as a witness, and when officials in the state government put their hand upon the Bible, uh, they put the right hand up there because it signifying their loyalty to something. So when we talk about the, the mark of the beast in the right hand, we talk about loyalty and recognition of the beast. And then when we get that mark, that means we are loyal to him. And so the first aspect that we want to deal with in the physical mark of the beast is what we call the physicality of the mark in the hand. The physicality, that's P-H-Y-S-I-C-A, L-I-T-Y, physicality of the mark in the hand. In the, in the text that we are focusing upon in Genesis 2-7, it states that man was made of the dust of the ground, which means that there is a physical part of man that has to be catered to. Because of the physicality of man's being, there's what we call, there's what we call man's physical appetite in his in his appetite there are two cravings he has these two cravings are caused by a physiological hunger and a thirst the hunger is a desire for physical food and the thirst is a desire for physical water it is these cravings of the appetite we want to examine in this study. We will refer to these two cravings as, respectively, as the hunger and the thirst cravings. We call them the physical hunger and the physical thirsting. These are the cravings for the human. So when we look at the physical hunger or the physical cravings, the first one is the physical hunger. And the physical hunger craving is the experiencing of a physiological hunger which produces a desire for physical food. How does the physical hunger relate to the mark of the beast? in one's right hand. When we consider the fact that the physical hunger is one of the strongest biological needs of a carnal being, when one's biological nutritional need for food is not met, it can produce an ideal situation to yield to, yield 
to receiving the mark of the beast. We pointed out that there were three areas the beast uses to coerce one in receiving the mark of the beast. Okay, let's look at those. Let's kind of go over those three areas again because uh, what the image of the beast is doing is trying to get others to accept what they are putting out in a spurious Sabbath. If the mark of the beast is Sunday-keeping, they want to try to get everybody aboard for that. So we want to see how man's biological hunger and thirst deals with the mark of the beast. Okay, now, here's what it says in Revelation chapter 13, and we're looking at verses 15 and 17. Here it says in Revelation 13, 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, talking about the uh, beast that had come up out of the uh, waters, and and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and the image of the beast came up out of, uh, of the earth. He said, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed, okay? So here we see in Revelation 15, 13, 15, that there is a decree of death. They, they should be killed if they didn't accept it, okay? Then when we read in verse 17, it says, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Now, we won't be dealing with the name and the number and all of that. We, we're still on the mark in the hand, so we'll be dealing with the mark. So now, what we are looking at is that in order to make man to succumb, especially those who have not bought in to Sunday keeping, it says they're going to give a, first of all, in verse 15 of the 13th chapter, a death decree, and in the 17th chapter of the 13th chapter of Revelation, it says there are going to be some prohibitions, okay? So what we're looking at is a death decree and not being able to buy and not being able to sell. So what we have are a death decree and a and prohibitions. And with, with the death decree and the prohibitions facing a person who refuses to accept the mark Mentally, one might choose to accept the mark in one's hand. Now, let's explore this concept, and we refer to it as the physical mark of the hand, and we will call this part of our study the physical mark in the hand. Okay, we want to look at the physical mark in the hand. Now, when we look at the physical mark in the hand, for many individuals, when it comes to a mark in one's hand, they look for a literal physical mark. This physical may be something that will be done. However, for our studies, we aren't concerning ourselves with this type of mark, even though many people say it's going to be a physical mark. I don't believe that the Bible is talking about that. Now, man may do that, just like a lot of people say, well, the barcode on our foods, that might be a mark, and eventually they'll put a barcode on us. 
That may be so, but we want to look at this from the standpoint of how the Bible is looking at the mark. Now, the physical mark we are focusing on is what we would, what would be the behavior of the hand. Okay, now, we're not talking about a literal a physical mark, but what we are talking about is the behavior of the hand. And we are referred to this as the behavior of the hand as the hand's activity. So let's look at this physical hand activity. The physical hand activity, when we speak about the mark of the beast being a hand activity, it has to do with what the hands represent rather than some literal mark put upon one's right hand. So just how does this hand activity work with the mark of the beast in the right hand? And in so doing, let us do so by considering what we call the history of the hand, the history of the hand. We want to we look at the history of the hand. When we consider the history of man's hand, we are given some indication as to what our hands were given to us for. So why, why do we have hands? Well, let's, let's look at it, because if we're talking about receiving a mark in the hand, we need to understand what a, what a hand has been given to us for. So we go back to the book of Genesis, and we go back to the second chapter of Genesis, but this time we want to use verse 15. Genesis 2.15. Now here in the 15th verse of Genesis chapter 2, it reads, And Yah Elohim took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to, dr to dress it and to keep it. So there was two things that he was to do in the garden. He was to dress the garden and to keep it. Okay. So here in this text, it is pointing out to us that Elohim put Adam into the Edenic garden to dress and to keep it. It would be rather reasonable to say that if Adam was to dress and keep the garden, that he would use his hands to do so. Moreover, after man transgressed the covenant of Elohim by partaking of that which was forbidden, Elohim said, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 3. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. And here in Genesis chapter 3, and we're looking at, let me see, uh, we're looking at uh, chapter 3, and we want to consider a few verses there. Now, we can start at verse 17. Now, notice what it says here. It says, and unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and also thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken, 
for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Now, what we are experiencing here is that before sin, man was working with his hands in order to dress and keep the garden. And after his transgression, we find that Elohim is telling him uh, that because you have transgressed, then you will have to till the ground by the sweat of your face. So what we see here now, the same hands that labored prior to sin is the same hand that is laboring in the ground with the thorns and the thistles after transgression. So again, we can logically deduce from this passage that in providing himself with bread or food to eat, he would do so by using his hands. Here we can see that our hands were used for toil and labor. So when we talk about the hands, we're talking about our toil and labor. We're not necessarily talking about a literal mark. We're talking about the behavior of the hands. Even though our hands were given to us for labor, Yah tell us in the Decalogue that we should labor six days and rest on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath. And we read this in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. We read it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. So here we have Elohim telling us to abstain from labor on this Shabbat for at least two basic reasons. First, he tells us to abstain from labor because no work should be done on the Shabbat. Shabbat is a holy day, and there should be no labor performed, which is of a secular nature. Secondly, we have to abstain from physical labor because Yah himself, who brought forth all physical things into existence abstain from his physical labor. Keep in mind also that Yah's holy Shabbat is his seal. And he doesn't want any of those of us who have a seal to be working on Shabbat. Just as the seventh day is Yah's seal, even so is the first day is Satan's mark of which he passed down to the beast of whom he passed down to the image of the beast, and the image of the beast makes laws which prohibit, which he makes laws which prohibit working labor on the first day. Here we find a parallel between the seal of Yah and the mark of the beast. What we notice is that the image of the beast not only singles out a day for worship as Yah did, but they also imitate Yah's behavior of abstaining from labor on their pseudo-Sabbath as Yah did on the true Sabbath. As we consider this aspect of abstaining from work on the Shabbat by the image of the beast, the mark is a behavioral mark in the sense that one would follow a behavioral practice of doing something Yah hasn't ordained, but what man has given credence to. And as we've pointed out, Sunday keeping doesn't become a mark until 
it is coerced upon a person. And how does the image of the beast coerce one to get the mark of the beast in one's right hand? It is by confronting one with a death decree and by prohibit and by prohibitions of being able of, of not being able to buy and sell. That's that's what he coerces us to do. He tells us how we are to use our hands, how we are to labor and to work. How does he coerce us? Well, when we read in in, in, in Revelation 13, 15, and 17, uh, one is a death decree, and in 17th verse of Revelation 13, it talks about the prohibitions of not being able to buy or sell. However, what we notice about the death decree and the prohibitions is that they aid one another in the ultimate goal of either the receiving of the mark in the right hand or to suffer death. You see, if you can't buy a cell, then that means you can't maybe get the food or the nutrition you need. That's going to lead to death. And then they have also a death decree. So the death decree points to the prohibitions and the prohibitions points back to the death decree. So either way, if you don't receive the mark, you're going to either receive death or you're not going to be able to buy and sell, and eventually you will have death. And that's the way a lot of people see it. And so that's coercing them to receive the mark. Consequently, what we are observing is that the mark of the beast in one's right hand, which is being forced upon individuals by passing upon them a death decree on one hand and not being able to get the necessary things one needs to survive because of the prohibitions of not being able to buy or sell. On the other hand, and as we can plainly see, both the decree and the prohibitions are designed to confront one with death. Not that we are, not now that we have examined the physicality of the mark of the beast in the right hand, let us now look at another dimension of the mark of the beast in the right hand. And as we found out that Adam was not only a physical creature, but according to Genesis 2-7, Yah breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and by so doing, he made him also of a spiritual nature. When we refer to this part of our study as the spiritual mark of the beast in the right hand, we will call the spiritual mark of the beast the spirituality of the mark in the hand. So we are now going to look at the spirituality of the mark in the hand. Now, in our text, in the text we are focusing upon in Genesis 2-7, we learn that in addition to man being a physical creature, he is also a spiritual creature as well, having derived his spirit from his creator. By the breath of Yah giving, by the breath of Yah giving to man life, this would mean that there is a spiritual part of man that has to be catered to. 
Because of the spirituality of man's being, there is what we call man's spiritual appetite. Just as in his physical appetite, there are two cravings, he has even so, there are two cravings in his spiritual appetite. These two cravings are called the spiritual hunger and the spiritual thirst. The spiritual hunger is a desire for spiritual food, and the thirst is a desire for spiritual water. It is these cravings of the appetite that we want to examine in this study. We will refer to these two cravings of the appetite, respectively, as the spiritual hunger and the spiritual thirst cravings. We will call these, respectively, the spiritual hunger and the spiritual cravings. Now, when we look at the spiritual cravings, the first one we look at is the spiritual hunger. In the spiritual craving is the experience of a spiritual hunger, which reduces a desire for spiritual food. How does the spiritual hunger relate to the mark of the beast in one's right hand? When we consider the fact that the spiritual hunger is one of the greatest spiritual needs of a spiritual being, when one's spiritual nutritional need for spiritual food is not met, it can produce an ideal situation to yield to receiving the mark of the beast. We pointed out that there were three areas the beast uses to coerce one into receiving the mark of the beast, namely a death decree, a prohibition, uh, a prohibition to buy, and a prohibition to sell. So what we have are a death decree and prohibitions which support one another. The death decree looks to the prohibitions to bring about death, and the prohibitions look to the death decree to bring about death. With the death decree and the prohibitions facing a person who refuses to accept the mark spiritually, one may choose to accept the mark in one's spirit in violation to the Holy Spirit's promptings not to accept the mark. Let's explore this concept in what we refer to as the spiritual mark of the hand. We will call this part of our study the spiritual mark in the hand. So let's see what the spiritual mark in the hand is. For many individuals, when it comes to a mark in one's hand, they only look at a literal physical mark. As we pointed out, there may be some kind of physical mark that may be rendered. I don't know. It may be. However, for our studies, we aren't concerning ourselves with this kind of mark. In this part of our study, we want to focus on the spiritual mark in the hand. We refer to the spiritual mark as the spiritual mark in the hand, which means to a large extent that there is a spiritual mark in conjunction with the symbolisms of a hand. As we discussed in the physical mark, that a hand 
is a symbol of one's labor or work. Let us consider this symbolic use of the hand with the spiritual mark. And we'll refer to this uh, symbolic hand, which is labor or work one does. We will refer to this portion of our study as the spiritual labor of the hand, and we'll call it the spiritual activity, the spiritual hand activity. When we speak about the mark of the beast being our labor or work activity, it has to do with what the labor or work represents rather than some physical, literal mark put upon one's right hand. So just how does this spiritual labor work with the mark of the beast in the right hand? And in doing so, let us do so by considering what we call the history of labor, the history of labor. When we go back to Genesis uh, chapter 15, we'll go back there, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, and we want to look also at Genesis uh, 3, uh, 19. When we consider the history of man's labor, we are given some indications as to what our labor was given to us for. So now, when we look at Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, And Yehoah Elohim took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. So again, we reiterate the fact that his labor was to dress and to keep the garden of Eden. That was what his labor was to do. And then when we look at... Uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, here it reads, uh, it says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So here in these texts, it is pointing out to us that Elohim put uh, Adam into his Edenic home to manage and arrange it. It would be rather reasonable to say that Adam was to labor as did his creator. When, when we think in terms of Adam being made in the image of Elohim, to a large extent, we associate his image primarily to his physical appearance. We must take into consideration that Yah's image went beyond the physical image. It went beyond the physical image alone. His image was also imbued upon man's spirit and his labor. Moreover, after man transgressed Yah's covenant by eating of that which was forbidden, he was now resting under not only a physical curse of being able to get his food by physical work, but he was also resting under a spiritual curse of being able to get his spiritual food by spiritual labor prior to transgression Adam's labor was used to promote Yah's image. A part of Yah's image was man's labor, 
by Adam being made in Adam's by by Adam being made in Yah's image, this also meant that he, like his maker, would mimic his maker's activity. Thus, man's labor was also in Elohim's image. Just as Elohim labored, Adam followed suit. Spiritual labor entails not just the imaging of Yah, but also to whom one is laboring for. So when Adam was in his image, he was in the working image and the laboring image of Elohim as well. And it shows that when he was laboring, he was not only laboring uh, just to labor, but he was reflecting the image of his creator in laboring. And he was not only doing that, but he was also showing that he was in harmony with what Elohim wanted him to be in harmony with. So Adam not only carried out his labors like his maker, but also for, for his maker. Consequently, to have the spiritual mark of the beast is for our spiritual labor to be transferred from being in the image of Elohim for him, but our spiritual labor is mimicking Satan and doing for him. When one abstains from laboring on the Sunday and paying homage to the image of the beast and works on the true Sabbath to engage in labor on the true Sabbath and abstain from labor on the pseudo Sabbath is a spiritual mark of the beast in the hand. And it demonstrates who one is laboring for. Furthermore, when we depart from the seal of Yah and receive the mark of the beast in the right hand, it is not without spiritual consequences. When we accept the pseudo-Shabbat in place of the true Shabbat, we are eating falsehoods and drinking error. Our souls will be left to the spiritual cravings of hungering and thirsting for the true bread of life, and the pure water of life. Receiving the mark of the beast causes a starvation and a drought in our spirit. We may be physically fed and nourished, but spiritually we are famished and dehydrated. Now that we have looked at the physical, the physicality and the spirituality of the mark in the hand, we'll conclude this study here and by his grace, next week, we'll deal with the other two aspects because we're studying at least four aspects of the mark of the beast in the hand. And we deal with the physicality and the spirituality. And next week, we'll deal with the other two. So we'll conclude at this juxtaposition. So we dealt with the physicality and part of the spirituality. And you said next week, you'd be dealing with what? Okay. Uh, the two other, uh, we, we, it's four dimensions we're going to look at, and we'll deal with the other two next week. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because uh, a lot of people feel that it's going to be a physical mark. Mm -hmm. um, 
but we really don't know if it's going to be physical or not. Now, would it be physical on the standpoint of Yah that he knows that uh, which ones are stamped and which ones aren't? That only maybe he can see? Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's, it's only Elohim who can read the minds, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the devil, the devil really can't read our minds. He can read our behavior, and sometimes he's correct. But only Elohim can read our minds, and uh, not only reading our minds, but the fact is that when we do certain things with our hands uh, on the Sabbath, just like if if we if we do the circular work with our hands, it's not something really in the, it, it, what's in our mind is coming out in our hands. Mm-hmm. Just like uh, just like I heard it said that. Uh, Sometimes uh, people want to go in on their jobs to do secular work on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You, you know that that's that's that that is not something that we are looking at or trying to understand the man. We are actually seeing that behavior played out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Elohim look at the man as well as the behavior that is carrying out what's in the man. Mm. So. Um... Now you were saying that the mark means loyalty. Uh, not necessarily the 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 mark means loyalty. Yeah, but it has some loyalty in there. Yeah, it mm-hmm. it, it does for the heck that. But what I was trying to bring out is that when we talk about the right hand, mm-hmm. see if see if I'm in court and and I'm a I'm a witness before I take that stand. What is the judge? He's gonna have uh, the um, the. Uh, Sergeant at arms or, or the uh, the person in the courtroom to give me the Bible, and I'm going to mm-hmm. put my right hand on the Bible. Mm-hmm. And he said, do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Mm-hmm. Well, when I put my hand on do that, that's that's loyalty that I'm going to be true to what I'm saying. So when you talk about the mark of the beast, having the, uh, the seal in your right hand, it's not necessarily putting the right hand over the left hand. What it's saying is, that the right hand is usually used for loyalty. Mm. Just like when the president, they say every president that had been sworn in after Lincoln, they have Lincoln's Bible in which every president put their hand on their, Bi- their right hand on that Bible and they swear to carry out the office of, uh, of the president of the United States of America. That's loyalty to your country, okay? Mm-hmm. So in the mark of the beast is the same way. When you are loyal to him, that means that if it's in your right hand, that means you are loyal to him. How are you loyal to him? That means you would keep a false Sabbath for him, just like we who keep the seal, which is the true Sabbath, and we are loyal to him. Mm-hmm. But now, see, the devil has uh, have you been loyal to him in two ways. You can be loyal in your mind, because he said he can put the mark in your mind or your hand. So if that is true, then the mark of the beast is saying, well, you may not believe what I'm saying in your mind, but if you still do what I say with your hands by carrying out my behavior, I still got you. Mm. But Elohim, he doesn't have the mark in the hand, no seal in the hand. He said his seal is in the man because Elohim knows that if it's in the man, it's going to come out in the hand. So he doesn't give you no option. Elohim say you are 100% for me or you're not. Mm. Just like somebody said, you can be 99% in nine, but he wants the 100%. So he said, my seal is in your mind. I'll put you 100%. But the devil said, you can have it in, in your mind or you can have it in your hand. If you don't have it in your mind, just put it in your hand. I still got you. Yeah. So that's the loyalty by doing 
uh, what he says do, and by having doing it with your right hand, it is pointing out the fact that you are loyal. Your loyalty is to him. You know, because it's interesting. A lot of people who don't believe in the Sabbath would not do work on Saturdays mm-hmm. on this day and all, you know, uh, in, in some form, if it's not uh, laboring for income, it's laboring around the house mm-hmm. and all, you know, as opposed to just taking the day off and not doing anything as, you know, Yah has stated. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we find, you know, with Sunday worship, you know, I find it ironic, especially when I when I would tell people, you know, I don't work on Saturdays and people, oh, I don't work on Sundays. But yet still, you go and do everything on Sunday. You may not work mm-hmm. physically and make money on Sunday, but you're out in the, you're out in the yard cutting the lawn after you got out of church or mm-hmm. you uh, go cook your Sunday dinner after you've gotten out of church. So really, what are you keeping? Right. You know. Now, you, you was also saying that Adam in the garden, he was to dress the garden. And I wonder what did that entail? Because he went from dressing to what tilling the ground. And so I, I assume that things weren't just going to come forth as it was when they got kicked out of the uh, Garden of Eden. No, you have two questions there. You you were saying what was the uh, dressing and keeping, mm-hmm. and then he got kicked out of the garden? Yeah, because after he got kicked out, it went, sounds like, from dressing and keeping to actually uh, having to physically, physically work to bring forth uh, food. Yeah, well, in, in both cases, uh, prior to transgression as well as after transgression, mm-hmm. he still had to labor. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is that prior to uh, transgression, he would labor, but it would not be as intense and the soil would not be as stubborn. Mm -hmm. And what you say, what did it dressing and keeping involved with what it involved? Just like if he had a grape, uh, if he had a grapevines and he had an orchard of grapes, Mm -hmm. then Elohim in the garden had grown the grapes before Adam got there. All of that was in there. Yeah. So Adam would have to train the vines and be able to shape and, and put them in a, in a, in a certain position. Elohim grew it, but Adam had to get in there and work it and to straighten everything out. Mm-hmm. And when Eve came along, then she could also help him uh, do that. That means that he had to lift the vines. He had to, he had to twist and turn. He had to bend, he had to stoop. And all of that was exercise for Adam and he enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It, w- it was not strenuous. At the end of the day, he didn't feel all exhausted. But after sin came in, then pretty soon exhaustion came in because the, the land outside of Eden was not like the land inside of Eden. And then when his sin affected the soil, then he had to work harder to try to bring forth because now he has to deal with the thorns and the thistles. And you know when you got thorns and thistles, that means that something uh, has gone wrong with the uh, the horticulture or with the agriculture. Mm-hmm. And so now what he was doing with the greatest of ease, he now has to sweat. He has to strain mm-hmm. and he has to use more energy. And not only that, uh, each succeeding uh, generation, they live to be about 
some some of them the patriarchs live between 900 and 700 years old mm-hmm. but every hundred years that went by, they were getting weaker and weaker, and they would have to work harder and harder to get from the sweat of their brow. So what we're looking at is basically here is that when they uh, started losing strength, then things became more intense intense for them. Mm -hmm. So now to train the vines and to deal with the apple orchards and stuff, it was much more strenuous after transgression than it was before. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think, you know, we as a people, we've gotten weaker and weaker uh, since the biblical days. And I, and I think as we continue on until Yah comes, we'll get weaker and weaker. You know, even though now we have a lot of machines to do a lot of the labor for us, you know. Yeah, well, when the Industrial Revolution came in uh, in this country, it was to compensate for man's ability and his strength. And this mm-hmm. is why we having a lot of things that we now do by machine that we once did, you know, by hand labor. Yeah. And then we're even moving toward the more of even uh, dealing with things uh, from the standpoint of technology. Mm-hmm. The computer, the computer now is doing a lot of things that we once did. And now we don't really need human labor we just need a computer and a few people to operate it and this is causing a lot of people to be unemployed because they're dependent upon the government to give them give them work and stuff and they are going to school to do a certain type of labels but a lot of uh, things are now done by, done by the computer that you don't need human labor yeah well i don't know like now uh with this artificial intelligence they're getting to the point where computers can think for you you know, mm-hmm. where you don't really have to think much. A computer would think for you and compute for you and do everything you need. Mm-hmm. But I just wonder, as we move along, especially in these last days, all these things, I think, play out into bringing along the full mark of the beast. You mm-hmm. know, because I, I, I think the whole thing is Satan needs to uh, deplete the population, I feel. You know, he needs to depopulate. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the population what? needs to be de- uh, depleted a lot more. And all you say, you think the population needs to be depleted? Yeah. 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 You saying you think this or Satan thinks this? No, I say I I think this. So you know? why would the population need to be defeated? That sound like Bill Gates and Fauci. Well, I think. Uh, from the standpoint of Satan, is it would be e- easier to man, um, to manipulate a lot more pe- less people than it would be with a lar- large amount of people. I mean, Kate, I mean for the reason too, a yeah, lot of the believers he's going to destroy because yeah, he doesn't that, want that opposition. But you, but you, but what you are saying is that you believe a lot more people should. Oh no 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 not not that they should no no oh that's what I was giving what I'm saying no no I'm not saying that the population needs no uh uh because um you know being a Hebrew you know we're looking for the population you know the Hebrews to grow in population and I also still believe if there is a second Exodus and we do get returned to the land of Abraham Isaac and Jacob that. Uh, from what the scripture says is that 
uh, for a time, uh, the Hebrews will populate that area, which I take they will have kids still and mm-hmm. everything. Okay. But I All just right. think from the standpoint of Satan, the less people he has to manipulate, the better. Because I think in this day and age, we're starting to see robotics come into a major play. We're starting to see what they call the meta universe, this digital uh, virtual universe. Mm-hmm. And the next phase to me is they're going, I feel, going to try to tell people, you want to live forever? Yeah, we can live forever, but we need to take your physical form, kill that in order to put you into a digital form in everything. Your digital form can basically live forever, but we got we to gotta get rid of your, your, your physical form. But we know through scriptures, once your spirit is gone from your body, it's no living. Your spirit goes into some digital form to live forever. Yeah. And all is done. You know, your spirit goes back to the most high. You know. Yeah, well, what you're dealing with now is what you call uh, 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 tech, uh, uh, pseudo-technology. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was that was the same thing that uh, the serpent was telling Eve in the garden that if you eat this, you know, you won't surely die. Yeah. And they, at the end of time, in the, in pseudo uh, technology, they'll tell you, you know, well, if you get your spirit and put it in our technology, you'll live forever. Yeah. And that's the same thing that was told in the Eve. Mm-hmm. But it's just coming through a different uh, technological form. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, to me, too, it kind of harkens back just to recently with the whole COVID vaccine thing. You know, uh, people was told you get the vaccine, it should it will pre- prevent you from getting COVID. Then we find out it didn't prevent them people from getting COVID. Mm. You know, they still was able to get it. So, you know, and, and, and I have yet to hear anybody come out and say, well, what did you put in me if it doesn't prevent it? What yeah. what is what is it about that you put in me that it doesn't prevent what I'm supposed to be getting prevented from? Mm-hmm. And all, but I think all these things goes into a lot of the things that's about to happen in the last days. That mm-hmm. what's going on now, last days. Yeah, well, you find celebrities and uh, Bill Gates and uh, the Vice President of the United States. They claim that they they got it. Mm-hmm. Now y'all been telling us to take the shot. Did y'all take the shot? Yeah. Now, if you took it, then you still got it. So. Uh, how come we are not hearing about the thousands and thousands of cases that you were reporting before the truck drivers in Canada had forced all of the governors of the United States to take a stand because the truck drivers over there in Canada took a stand. And when they took a stand and they dealt with it, then now we don't no longer hearing about it. Everybody trying to push it aside now, but they slowly trying to come out of it to to make us believe that it was really true. But the Mm -hmm. fact being is if it was really true, how come, it went away so fast. Mm-hmm. It came fast and it left fast. So it, it leaves a lot of questions about uh, what's being played out here uh, in the in the government office. Because like we was talking about uh, the death decree, the death decree is going to come from your government. Yeah. And when you came by and sell, that's going to come from your government. Yeah. And so we have to look out and see that uh, all of these things that they are saying it's not based upon the Bible. So if it's not based upon the Bible and the Torah, 
then we have to see it as being a falsehood. Nobody's going to live forever in, in some kind of robotic uh, uh, device. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, I, I think all these things that's been going on, because it was a guy who wrote an article who basically said that this whole vaccine thing was a test trial. And there is a video of former President Barack Obama stating it was a test trial. But the way he stated it was so smooth and it would kind of go over people's heads because he this one guy in the article was saying by 2023 COVID to be done with. And as we see now, all the, a lot of the countries are releasing restrictions and all the other things that was put on and that it has lightened up considerably. And I believe by 2023, it will be done with it, you know, because mm-hmm. I mean, ever since the Ukraine war and Russia, you haven't really heard much about it. And then it was interesting that once that war happened, they finally put out the adverse effects of the vaccine. They kind of like snuck it out there. Mm. Nobody's talking about it though. But I just see, you know, a lot of these things come is going to come into play. Um, you know, we are seeing little pieces and elements of what's to come with the mark of the beast. Mm-hmm. You know, there is basically to me a test, you know, when they tested, you didn't get the shot yet. You can't come in buy and sell. How are people going to re- how are people responding to this? Okay. We're taking notes. So the next time they come and hit us, it's going to be even harder than what it was before and longer. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. well, with that, mm-hmm. we will go into our next segment. Up next is let's talk about that. So today I want to discuss and talk about religion. Um, As we know, I think religion is going to play a huge part in the mark of the beast and bringing it upon us and whatnot. And so it's a verse that I want to read with you guys and kind of discuss and if you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 that's again Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 and it reads beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man after the rudiments of the world and not after Mashiach so pastor my question is this um, is it possible that Paul in this passage is relating this not only to men, but also to religions in the church. Yeah. Well, um, when you look at uh, who is talking to is the, is the Colossians in Colossae. And that was a place that Paul had preached the gospel. Uh And what he's dealing with is that when you deal with the uh, philosophy I think it's, to a large extent, he's talking about worldly philosophy because, you know, that's a true philosophy. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, when you look at the word philosophy and you break it up, is 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 philo, so, philosophy. Philo means love, okay. and sophie means wisdom, okay? So when you put the two words together, you got the love of wisdom, okay? okay? Now, that can be in a good sense, and it can be in a negative sense because all philosophies are not 
what you might say, biblically centered. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about vain deceit and after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world. So we know that that worldly stuff uh, is not going to go over with those who are trying to live like Elohim wants us to live because it says they live after the rudiments of the world and not after the Messiah, which mm-hmm. is Christ. And so we know there's a problem with that. But one of the things that uh, take in consideration is that uh, Elohim never gave a religion, mm-hmm. you know, a religion, uh, all religion, all religions are man-made. Yeah. Elohim gave a covenant, not a religion. If you trace every religion that they have on earth, all religions come from men. Mm-hmm. And now some religions may include some aspects of the covenant. And then they may still do other worldly things along with that. Mm-hmm. So as we see what we call religion, we have to stop and think. Is these religions just taking what they want and then going by their traditions? Because when you look at every religion, you trace it. Most religions that exist today have the same doctrines Mm -hmm. and practices that they had when they first started. Those are their their traditions. So we have to say it to ourselves that when we take their uh, traditions and we take their practices and their teachings and compare it to Bible, if that's not according to the Bible, mm-hmm. then Elohim is not, cannot endorse it. Mm. He can only endorse what he has in his word, and his word is his covenant. Mm-hmm. And that's what we are covenant keepers. We're not religion. I don't even know if the word religion is even found in the Bible. In the book of James, they talk about religion. Mm-hmm. But when you look it up in the Greek, it has... Uh, connotation to something altogether different to what we call religion. Mm-hmm. But Elohim never gave a religion. If religion is not what Elohim wants, then we have to write it off because Elohim doesn't recognize it. He only recognizes what he has given in his covenant. Mm-hmm. So I, I just wonder then, is religion something, I hate to say it, an institute that came at the influence of Satan? You know, because, I mean, if our guidelines are the Torah and following the scriptures and they just take bits and pieces of that and they merge that with what they want, is it true to his word? Or can you basically say if you don't have it all and you're not doing all that the scriptures say to do, is everything technically then just is all false and it's under Satan's rule. Well, well, I, I, I wouldn't look at that as all false no more than if, even if you're keeping a covenant, you may not be keeping everything in the covenant. Mm-hmm. But and when you deal with religion, there may be some things that they're keeping. There might be honest people who, for as they know that they are following the best they know how. Mm-hmm. But the, I think the problem comes in when, they are presented with more truth to understand what the covenant of Elohim is and reject it. Mm -hmm. Like you could take people who they may honestly don't know. They have never been taught. And this is not only the followers of religions, but also the teachers and the leaders of religion. They may not honestly know. This may have just been passed down to them, and they really honestly think it's true. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, um, are you willing 
to go outside of your religion to really see what Elohim has to say. And if it comes to you, will you reject it or will you accept it? And will you be able to read it and to see if what you are doing is in harmony with what the Bible is teaching? Mm -hmm. Because I know the Roman church, uh, Romanism, uh, the Catholics, uh, they just tell you up straight up, straight up, and that they put tradition over the Bible. If the wow. Bible says one thing and they have a tradition, then they'll take that tradition over the Bible. And this is what Paul is addressing somewhat in the eighth verse of the second Colossians when he says, after the tradition of men. Uh -huh. see, a lot of the traditions in the uh, Catholicism, they are traditions of men. And this is why Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation, is that they protested against anything that was not built upon the word of Elohim. Because uh -huh. he had a slogan that says the word of God and the word of God only. They saw, uh -huh. they call it sola scriptura, which means that we stand upon the word of God alone. And he couldn't find a lot of the traditions that the Catholic churches were teaching and practicing. He couldn't find in the word. And so since he couldn't find in the word, he, he had a discussion with the Catholic church. And so that he was considered, you know, the father of the Protestant movement. And most of the churches you have here in, in, in the world Mm -hmm. especially in the United States. They call themselves Protestant churches. Mm -hmm. So if you're a Protestant, that means you protest. And what are you protesting? You're protesting that you're teaching things in the Scriptures that are not found in the Scriptures, but the very Protestant churches who claims that they are protesting, they are going along with the Catholic Church in many of its teachings. They may say they are different from Catholics because they're Protestant, but in practice they're doing the same thing. Because where did they get where did they get Sunday keeping? They got it from the Sunday church, but yet and still they are not protesting against it. So how can you be a true Protestant and you accepting the error that they have put out? True. You accepted their feast days like Christmas and Easter and all of that, but you haven't accepted the true festival days that are found in the scriptures. So yeah. if you're not protesting for truth, then you're just using the name Protestant to separate yourself. But in practices, you are the same as what the Roman church is. This is why it says you are the image of the beast. Mm -hmm. So most of the Protestant churches are images of the beast. That's what it is, the image, the Protestant world. Wow. So a lot of these religions are basically the image. They just, you know, mm -hmm. taking some, but not all of what right. they do, but, you know, they still not adhering to what the Torah says for us to do. Right. You know, I, I just wonder, too, and we discussed it previously, uh, how much is it about people actually going and learning scriptures in a religion or church, and how much is it is basically people is going there to socialize, like in a nightclub? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that social dimension is uh, something that we really need uh, when they had the coronavirus out very strong. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they prohibited was, you know, having fellowship in churches, even though some churches like the black Hebrews and other congregations that I saw, uh, even in first day churches, they, they continue to meet. They didn't they, they didn't even bother about whether or not they were going to get the disease or not. They met. Mm -hmm. And I haven't heard any outbreak that anybody got anything. But the point that I'm trying to get at is, is that oftentimes when we have what we call uh, social events in churches, that's good. It's healthy. Because mm -hmm. uh, Adam told Adam, even before Eve came, he said, it's not good for you to be alone. Mm -hmm. And that's why he made a help meeting. But the fact is, is that when we are meeting just 
to meet with human flesh and not with Elohim, that's where the problem comes in. If you're a church, you got to have the spiritual element there, not just to have sociality. You've got a lot of social lights in the church, but if they are not using their social gathering to be able to up, uplift and praise Elohim who created them, it's just a human gathering. That's all it is. But we must come together for socialization and to be able to encourage one another and give testimonies mm-hmm. of what Elohim has done and also to be able to lift up and praise him who has caused us to be able to get the blessings that we get in this life. But to just reduce it just to social gathering and to talk about it and everything outside of what the Torah teaches, that that would not be productive uh, for those of us who are striving to be what Elohim wants us to be according to his covenant. And, you know, too, I just wonder, is it a case where you have more people that are followers than leaders? Because I I believe if a bulk of people were to start keeping the Torah, the covenant and the feast days, and they see everybody else doing, a lot of people would jump on board because everybody else doing. So I'm wondering is it, you know, it's more people out here that are more followers than they are leaders? Well, I think that, uh, you know, bears witness that uh, even Yeshua, when he was on earth, he says, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and very many go there. Mm-hmm. And then he said, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and very few go. There is something about uh, large numbers that impresses people, uh, to do certain truths. In other words, if everybody's doing it, then I'll do it. But if everybody's not doing it, even if I know it's right, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And you can just think about the fact that Noah, when he preached, only a few were saved, just eight. He, his wife, and his three sons' wives, That those were the only ones saved. Everybody yeah. wasn't doing it, so everybody went along with what the majority was doing, and only it was saved. And then you go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened? Well, you go down there, then uh, what you see is that only Lot and his uh, wife and children were saved, but then when his wife looked back to what she had left, then she was struck down. But yeah. only a few came out of there. So we have a tendency to measure truth by the, by the, by the, by the numbers rather than truth by what it teaches that is right in the Word. Well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out another podcast? Okay. Hello, Father, we thank you that we could uh, again talk about the mark of the beast. And as we looked at it as the physical hand and the behavior, Lord, that we perform, not simply a mark or a tattoo or something on us. That's what man teaches, but the word teaches that it's in the hand, it's in the mind, and the mind governs the hand. We also looked at the spirituality of it and how spiritually, as we look to the mark, Elohim has given us a seal, but you have, but through the pseudo type of religions and to the pseudo type of spirituality, we receive the mark by behaving in a way that Satan would want us to behave. So as we look at these truths and assess them through our lives, may the power of the Holy Spirit be able to put the principles of truth within each of us that we may be the children that you would have us to be. Now, we thank you, Lord, for the service. Thank you for the host. 
Thank you that the word is going out, and thank you for each listener. And as we assess these things, O oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit may help us to be what you would have us to be, that when you do come, we can meet you in peace. So continue to bless the sick and the shed in. Bless those who have experienced the loss of loved ones. Bless those, O oh, Heavenly Father, who have found it difficult to make a livelihood. And for those, O oh, Heavenly Father, who are on their beds of affliction, that you would continue to attend to each person and give them what they stand in need. And when you have been able to bring us through and to give us the things, Lord, that would make life at its best and to give us that a more abundant life, we will look back and give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory. Majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful blessings. We pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Know therefore that Yahuwah Eloheka, he is Elohim, the faithful El, which guards his covenant and the mercy with them that love him and guard his commandments to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.